So we are in Faith That Shakes, part 34. We're looking at Acts 20, part 2. We'll only stay in Acts 20 tonight. Uh, and there's some great stuff. I, I hope we can get through it. Uh, it's 7.30, and uh, we, we should be fine. But uh, I want to say a prayer, and then we're going to jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would lead us into it deeper tonight, God. Show us truth that transforms our lives, changes us, God, and makes us more like you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, so we looked at part 30 last time, and we, we were having to cut off early because we were doing the going away party for Alexander. And so we looked at Utica's falling out of the window and dying. And we kind of left it there. So we're going to pick it back up. Look at verse 7, and we'll go through 12 right now. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. I love that. Like he started right now, and he went until midnight. I love that. Would you guys stay? Okay. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. I mean, it's midnight. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down in the, from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread, and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak. So he preached till midnight. They had this little incident. And then he continues on till daybreak. He departed. And they brought the young man in alive. And they were not a little comforted. They were greatly comforted. So let's pick it up there. Paul spoke until midnight. And uh, Chuck Smith, I mentioned this last time, suggested that Eutychus was deprived of oxygen because he was sitting in an open window and there were many lamps and perhaps the carbon monoxide or whatever comes off those lamps was coming out of that open window and he lost whatever we we don't know but maybe it was warm it definitely was late that's why I like to crank up the AC in the sanctuary because if it's warm it's like a lecture and people start nodding I know it's not my preaching that's doing it so I'm like turn that temperature down and, and freeze them out, you know, because it's hard to sleep when you're freezing cold, right? Oh, so, so that's the secret. That's, that's the secret. Keep them cool. It'll keep them awake. And Paul was leaving the next day on a ship, on a cruise, I mean, sort of. So he could have slept all day, right, the next day. And these people had to get up and go to work and, and what have you. So let's say Paul started preaching in the evening, after everyone was off of work, say it started at 6 or 7, he preaches till midnight, perhaps even, well, he goes on until daybreak after the incident. And so, to me, let's, I want to focus on this for a moment. How could he preach so long? Well, there's something interesting about this. He grew up, obviously, as a Jew. Young Saul of Tarsus would have memorized much of what we know as the Old Testament. To him, it just would have been his Bible, the scriptures, the holy scriptures. But then he moved on to even deeper levels of Judaism that required even more memorization. He was under the tutelage of Gamaliel, or Gamaliel, and he was a Pharisee. So he would have, he would have memorized gobs 
of Scripture. As a matter of fact, according to Mark Laporte, the Jews in Jesus' day had three levels of education, which was most likely instituted by Ezra after the exile in order to teach the people the Scriptures again. The first level was called Bet Sefar. At the ages of 6 through 12, the Jewish boys and girls would begin their education in the synagogue school, learning how to read and write. The textbook was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And the goal was to memorize the entire thing, the sacred text. The Babylonian Talmud, Baba Bathra, says in 21.6, Before the age of six, do not accept pupils. From that age, you can accept them and stuff them with Torah like an ox. Sound like a bunch of homeschoolers to me, you know, just... Stuff them with this information. Stuff them with the Torah like an ox. Incredible. Imagine having memorized the Torah, the entire first five books of the Bible, by the time you were 12 years of age. The level would be concluded by a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, uh, and and you would be welcomed into the community, you know, as, as a full standing member. And then you would be allowed to read the Torah out loud during synagogue, church services. The next level was the Bet Midrash. This was only for the best of the best. Uh, It would be for those who had memorized the entire Torah. Truly, they had done so. And this level was from age 13 to 15, where they continued studying and memorizing the entire Tanuk. In other words, the complete Old Testament. Now, very few would have been selected for this, but by the time you're 12, you've memorized the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are massive books. And then by the time you're 15, you have memorized from Joshua to Malachi. Think about that. That's massive amounts of memorization. The final level, the final level was Bet Talmud, which was the longest in duration as it went from ages 15 to 30. To participate, you had to be invited by a rabbi, and if you were selected, you would begin this process of grooming that would lead to the potential of becoming a rabbi yourself by the time you were 30 years of age. And uh, those who were chosen for this were referred to as Talmudim. So at the first level, they would learn and memorize the Torah, by the age of 12. Let me give you an idea what that is. That's 187 chapters or 5,852 verses or 156,058 words. And that was all done by the time you were age 12. Everybody say 12. 12. The math is this. Six years, 72 months, 312 weeks, 2184 days. Thus memorizing the Torah is roughly three verses per day. And so young Saul would have done that. And then young Saul would have gone on to memorize the remainder of the Old Testament in the next three years. Talking about a cram chorus. And and young Saul, the, the bottom line is this, was very familiar with his Bible. <laughs> I mean, that's an understatement. He had memorized the whole thing. He was very familiar with the Old Covenant. But for 30 years, he didn't know what it meant. 
He really didn't know what it meant. He's got all this memorization, all these verses tucked away in here. But he didn't know what they meant. He had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. He knew things, but he didn't understand things. Do you know what I'm saying? He, he, he just had a very surface, surface relationship with the word. Now, let me give you some scripture for this out of the New Testament, John 5, 31 through 40. Listen to this. This, this is good. Are you with me? It's Wednesday night. We've cranked the temperature down. If I bear witness of myself, Jesus said this, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. This is John the Baptist. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He, John, was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. But you do not have, but you do not have his word. If I say word, you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these. Are they which testify of me, of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. I want to save you. And you, you, you see these scriptures and you, you think you understand them, but you don't. Because if you did, you would know it's all about me. Now notice, stick with me. John testified of Jesus. He was like a spotlight shining on Jesus. He was a witness to who Jesus was. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. I think this goes back to the garden, right? Blood was shed that would cover sins. Here's the Lamb. The la- There's the Lamb. Uh, Genesis, that was Genesis all the way through. All the way through. The lamb, John's pointing to him. Here he is. The second thing Jesus is, the miracles of Jesus we're like a spotlight also testifying as to who he was. This, these works, this would not only be miracles, but it would be the things that he did. He, he did so many things to fulfill the scripture. So all these things he did, plus the miracles themselves were testifying, a spotlight. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb. And then thirdly, Jesus says this, and the Father was a witness as to who I am, he would say. So let's spend a little time on this one. Let me ask you this question. How was the father whom no one had seen, okay, how was the father a witness as to who Jesus was? 
The answer is this, through the word, that old covenant of which Saul had memorized that entire thing, that old covenant was a testimony. Notice this, stick with me. Let me ask you a question. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, right? The Lord said to Mary, the angel said to Mary, you're going to have a son. How, how could this be? This can't, this can't happen. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. So a virgin has a son sired by the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit, the Immaculate Conception, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. Now, 2 Timothy 3, 16, says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's inspired by whom? The Holy Spirit. God breathed. That's one translation. The, the, the word was God breathed. All Scripture is given by inspiration. Profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Second Peter one twenty one, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The same one who overshadowed Mary inspired men, moved on holy men of old, holy men of God. In other words, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Father testified of Jesus in the Word itself. Jesus was the Word made flesh. Now, the, the, uh, Jesus, you know, one time was asked, Show us the Father, show us the Father. He's like, Philip, have I not been with you so long? You don't understand? I am a father of one. This, this, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ Jesus bodily. But the man Christ Jesus, functioning as a man in a covenant with God, anointed by the Spirit of God, fulfilling that word of God, he's saying, listen, that word that you search and you think you have eternal life is a witness to me. My father witnesses of me through that word. Are you with me? I know this is like, this gets a little deep here, but this is fascinating stuff. The, the idea is this, the, the, uh, John 5, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but, but you do not have his word abiding you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures in them, you think you have eternal life, and they testify of me. The entire book, brothers and sisters, this entire Bible, this is the Jesus book. This is the Jesus book. Here's the deal. Man, the story of mankind prior to the fall is, is I, I, I've, I've pointed this out, but it's, it's worth repeating, it's, it's that long. There's man before the fall. There, that's, that's it, right, right there. The rest of the book, this is the problem. This is the solution. 
This is the fall. This is the redemption. This is the lost. This is the found. This is the, this is the damned. This is the saved. Jesus is the Savior. The whole book is telling that story. And so Saul of Tarsus has memorized the entire Old Testament. The whole thing. He, he's memorized the whole thing. But it doesn't make sense until one day on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus for himself and he bows the knee. And Jesus says, I'm going to show you some stuff, old boy. I'm going to show you some stuff. And later Paul would say, the way that I once persecuted, now I am of that way. I serve the true and living God that I never knew from my Bible. I'm going to tell you something. There are people in Ascension Parish, East Baton Rouge Parish, Iberville Parish, all in these cities who, who, who know something about the Bible, but they really don't get it. The pieces haven't connected. They don't have revelation. And it's up to us, brothers and sisters, with the help of the Holy Spirit, and with the help of the Father, to bring that word and help them see the truth. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He, he did not understand. He did not understand the scriptures. And to some extent, we're going to see this or we've seen it in the original 12 apostles themselves. They were not Pharisees per se, but they knew the scripture, a lot of scripture. And it wasn't really, they, they would throw scriptures around like, hey, Jesus, should we do like Elijah and like call fire down on these, these ignoramuses that, you know, rejected us? Let's burn them because that's in my Bible. Jesus, you know, SMH, roll my eyes, like what's up with you? Oh, you're so ignorant. No, you don't know which spirit you're of, et cetera, et cetera. So they knew scriptures, but they didn't have them in context and whatnot. It, it wasn't until Luke 24, first on the road to Emmaus, he meets with Cleopas and another guy, and they say they're disappointed that Jesus of Nazareth died. Jesus, risen Christ, is walking with them. They don't understand it's Jesus walking with them. They're disappointed. Jesus kind of coaxing the story out of them. They didn't realize it was Jesus. Jesus said in verses 25 through 27, Then he said to them, this is Luke 24, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They begged him to stay the evening with them, and, and then they broke bread together, and as he broke the bread, they realized who he was, and just as they did, he disappeared, and they excitedly ran to Jerusalem to tell the disciples, the 12 or 11 now, uh, who they had met and experienced with Jesus and they'd start telling the story and as they do, Jesus appears right in the middle of the whole situation. Jesus, risen Jesus, who had disappeared on the road to Emmaus or at least in the little lodge they were at and then reappears with them again before the 11. And, and the story picks up in verse 36. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. I love this, but they were terrified. <laughs> Jesus, right? God of all comfort, here he is, risen Christ, risen Savior. He says, peace, and they were terrified and frightened and supposed that he was a ghost, 
a spirit, right? He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still, listen to this, but while they still did not believe, while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, do you have any food here? Got anything to eat, guys? I'm hungry. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. He took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, these are the words. Notice this. These are the words. Everybody say words. Which I spoke to you. Listen, we say, man, if I saw Jesus, if he came in the flesh and I saw him, oh, Shonda, you know, like it would be on. I'd believe. Oh, I'd take all my fear away if I'd just see him in the flesh. They saw him in the flesh, frightened, terrified, still did not believe. You ain't no better. Who you think you are? Well, I'd be different than that. You know, yeah, sure. So it says here, he, he eats. He said, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me because they're all about me and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures then he said to them thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name to all nations Brendan and Lizzie beginning at Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things behold I send the promise of my father upon you tearing the city of Jerusalem until you were endued with power from on high. You see, they knew the scriptures, but now they knew the scriptures. There's a difference between knowing your Bible and knowing your Bible. And so much of it comes down to our heart. It really comes all down. If you believe with your heart, that Jesus is who he said he was, that he suffered and died, was raised from, you've got to believe it from the heart. From, it's, it's a heart thing. And, and, we're gonna, and that's t- connected to willingness. Willingness. Are you willing to take that leap of faith and, and put all the chips in and say, I believe? Like, it's a powerful thing. And, 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 and it, it takes revelation. It takes the help of God. But we have to ultimately decide, yes, I'm willing to believe. Knowing the scriptures versus knowing the scriptures, knowing what they mean. They understand Jesus from the scriptures. I I love that. That's how we're supposed to understand Jesus, from the word. Again, and I don't want to stay here too long, but to me it's amazing people... Jesus, I've, I've talked to some people that Jesus talks to them more than uh, like their spouse or whatever. Jesus just talks to them all the time. And yet when it comes to the Bible, they don't know jack squat. And what Jesus tells them is different than what the Bible says. So what are we to conclude other than either 
Jesus lied in the Bible or Jesus lied to you or maybe it wasn't Jesus that talked to you in the first place. You know what I mean? It's all got to square and jive with word. It rises and falls on word. It's the rule of law. The rule, and I don't mean law in a bad sense, like the Old Testament law is a bad. I don't mean, I mean the rule of law is the scripture has to dominate. That's why I said we have to bow the knee to word. Not experience, not voices that we have heard in our heads or things that we thought we heard in our hearts. We have to bow the knee to word, the knee to word and pray to God to show us the truth. Because I'm telling you, if you pray that, and if you are humble about it, God will send someone around the flipping world to get the truth to you, to tell you the truth. Saul of Tarsus, go see Ananias. I prepared him and told him all about you. He's going to show you some things. Son, Apollos, let me tell you something, son. I got Aquila and Priscilla. You're mighty in the word, but you don't have all the pieces. I'm going to send them in your life to make you a man that is powerful in the scripture that converts many people to Jesus. In other words, he will get the truth to you. Are you with me? So why did Paul preach all night long? Because he knew the whole dead gum Bible, right? Sorry, Lord, I shouldn't have said that. Because he knew that. We'll scratch that from the podcast. Because he knew the whole Bible. He knew the whole Bible. I forgot. He knew the whole Bible. And he was so excited because he now saw Jesus in the whole Old Testament. It made such a difference. He was so excited. I'll never forget when I got in the Word. For, for the first time. I grew up around scripture. I grew up memorizing scripture. We used to have sword drills in my Sunday school. I know what the sword drill is. I'm going to tell you something. World champion sword driller right here. We got some other world champion sword drillers. Sword drills where they say Isaiah 42, 9. And you had to like have your Bible closed, open it up, go to Isaiah 42, 9. I got it, I got it, I got to start reading it, you know. And as me and Randall Harville were world champion sword drillers in my Sunday school. And I, I think I was better than Randall. But we were world champion sword drillers. I knew a lot about the Bible. I memorized a lot of scripture. I remember trying to teach Bible studies. And man, it's like it was tough. Because I told you, I grew up in like evangelistic, hyper evangelistic church. Like evangelize, win souls, or go to hell. You know, like no option. And so, I, Drew, I'm like, you know, like, I'm trying. I'm like, I'm trying to win a soul. You know, I'm trying. And they'd ask me a question. Like, I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. And I'd, 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 it's back in the olden days. I'd say, hold on. I, like, I remember putting this girl on hold once. I'm like, hold on. I just kind of put the phone down. And I went to another phone, and I called somebody. Like, I've got his question. I don't know the answer to it. So I call my expert. My expert's giving me some input. I'm looking up scriptures. And I come back like, like 30 minutes later. You still there? Yeah. Hold on a second. I go back, you know, get, okay, come back. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, the answer, in other words, I, I just, all the pieces didn't come together. But I'll never forget one time, and I was preaching. I didn't know a little, enough about the Bible. To, I was full time in ministry, you know. And we were in Salem, Illinois, and we were, me and Valerie were not getting along. 
and I and it's a long story. We had two kids, we're evangelizing, living in a cardboard box. It was crazy. So anyhow, we we were not getting along. I got on my knees and I said, God, I need some answers. I need a word. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I've given you the Bible. You study it to get sermons. Why don't you start reading it to figure out how to live? And that's all it took. And I opened my Bible with fresh eyes. Hey, what would happen if you opened your eyes, your Bible this year with fresh eyes? I opened that Bible with fresh eyes. And I made some decisions, Milton. I said, I put, I'm willing. Lord, and I meant it, man. I meant it with everything I had. I'm willing to put everything on the table. I've, I've done it before in my life at that point. I'd already done, thought I'd quit the rock star thing, you know. And I, I said, I'm willing to put everything on the table once again. I'll put it all on the, if, if it's in there, I'll believe it. If it's not, I won't. I'm only, I'll bow the knee to that book. I'm not going to bow the knee to a denomination or to a card that I hold in my pocket with Mr. David Bernard. I'm not, I'm not going to bow the knee to, the, to, to man. To man, I'm going to bow the knee to the Father through the Word, right? Bow the knee to the Word. And, and I made that decision, and, and wow, man, it was like being born again, again, because the things that God started, the pieces started coming together. The, the, the things started making sense. And, and I saw Jesus. I saw my Jesus. It, all deep in that book, man, all those stories are about Jesus. Search the scriptures. They are they which testify of me. He's in all those stories, brothers and sisters. I, you, you're like, well, I don't see him in the axe head that floated. Well, you just keep digging because he's in that story. He's in all those stories. It's the story of redemption. Now, that's why Paul preached all night long. He just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And he was Paul, right? I mean, this guy was brilliant. And so Eutychus falls asleep and falls out the window and probably broke his neck. Three stories. So he's like, amen, amen, you know, amen. Probably early on, he's like, yes, wow, that's amazing. You know, kind of rest my eyes, you know. And, and then probably it was over. The next thing he knew, he woke up tumbling. What? Bam! And he dies. Eutychus dies. And Paul goes down the stairs, three stories. And the Bible says that Paul fell on him and embraced him. Now, where did that response come from? It's interesting to me. Paul falls on him and embraces him. Now, there's actually precedent for Paul's actions. Having memorized the book of 2 Kings, he knew this little story tucked away in 2 Kings 4. It was a woman. She was a Shunammite woman. She's a great woman. Scholars have different views of what that means. She was wealthy. She was important. She was big. I'm going to go with wealthy, okay? She was wealthy. Let's just go with wealthy. She was a wealthy woman. She added onto her house, her and her husband, to make room for uh, Elijah, uh, Elisha, but the, the, she was barren, and she conceived, and at the word of the Lord, it's a long story, but, but she had a son, 
Elisha said, you've been so good to me, what can I do for you? She said, man, I wish I had a son. He's like, this time next year, you're going to have a son. And she's like, you got to be kidding me. Like, are you serious? And he's like, don't question me. It's going to happen. You just watch and see. So sure enough, she has a son. She's barren. She has a son. And the boy grows up. The boy uh, is, is the next time we see him, he's out in the field. He's, he's out working the fields with his father, which is where every son should spend some time, out in the fields with his father, working hard and making it happen. And he's out there working. He's useful in the family, you know. We lost Alexander, moved to St. Louis. You know who took the trash out last time? Aaron, we've adopted Aaron, and tonight he's going to walk the dogs, feed the cat, take the trash out, and tuck us in. That's not true, but he did help on the trashes last time. But, you know, so this boy is now useful in the household. Long story short, he's out in the field working with his dad, and he falls over dead. He He says, my head, my head, and he falls over and dies. 2 Kings 4, it's in your Bible. A lot, uh, 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 Paul had that story, that whole book memorized. The, the boy falls over dead. And so the father, uh, the, the servants and the father, they bring the boy home to the house. A lot, uh, uh, the, the, woman, the woman meets him like, what's up? Boy's dead. Wow. They take him up to Elisha's room. They send for Elisha. What's up? The boy's not doing good. Elisha comes to where the corpse of the boy is. And we have this story. We have this story. Verse 32 of 2 Kings 4. When Elisha came into the house, there was a child lying dead on his bed. He went in therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on the child's knees seven times, opened his eyes. Gehazi said, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her, came in, pick up your son. She went and fell out. Anyhow, the boy was raised from the dead. God raised the Shunammite woman's son from the dead and God raised this boy, Eutychus, from the dead. He was a young man, raised him from the dead as well. Interestingly, the Shunammite's woman's son was just at the point of being useful in the household, like I said. He was helping his father in the field where the harvest would be. Perhaps Eutychus was like this young man in 2 Kings 4. He was just getting useful in the church. Maybe he was a young preacher. I don't know. He's out working with his father in the field, perhaps. I don't know. But whatever the reasoning for it was, it, it could be. I'm not saying it was, but it could have been in the back of Paul's mind. I don't know what to do with this, but I know what Elisha did. And he lays across the boy and, and obvious, probably prayed for him and then embraced him and lifted him up and God raised him from the dead. Isn't that cool? So young Eutychus is raised from the dead. I love what Chuck Smith says regarding this story. He said, I'm older than Eutychus was. I'm an older preacher now when he was telling this story. He said, I'm older. He said, so if I fall out the window at church and and." I die and I'm, I'm out, you know, I'm on the other side with my Jesus and I'm rejoicing that I made it and I come too and y'all are all standing over me praying and I left Jesus and I'm now I'm back with y'all. 
I'm going to punch somebody. I love that. This is a young man, right? This is a young man, and, and, and per- perhaps there was much more for this young man to do. We don't know, but maybe there was so much more for this young man to do in the kingdom. In verses 13 through 16, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, where they're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given us orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us there, we took him on board and came to Medellin. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tregillium. The next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. So Paul goes by foot, he goes by water, he's on a mission. And then he gives this amazing farewell speech. President Obama gave one last night. He's a prolific, amazing speaker. But his words, not nearly as powerful and as inspirational as these words of Paul. Amazing. He gathers his lead team and he reminisces and he inspires And he even warns of impending danger. Listen to this, verses 17 through 19. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church, the the lead team. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Notice, many tears, many trials. And he told this truth, which was the reason that he suffered, him him speaking the truth. It was the reason. Speaking the truth is not always easy. Speaking the truth is sometimes very difficult. Look at this, verses 20 through 27. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and and taught you publicly and oikos to oikos, household to household, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's really a nugget right there. Repentance from anything else besides the Jesus system, the Jesus way, and faith from the heart toward this God revealed in the scriptures, our Christ, our Jesus. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city I go, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And I'm I'm winding down here. The responsibility was on Paul to share the whole counsel of God, not to sugarcoat it, 
not to preach to the itching ears, but to preach what was needed, the whole counsel of God. And he had faithfully discharged his duty. Now the responsibility was upon those who heard the message. He was saying, I have gotten your blood off my hands by giving you the message. In other words, your blood would be on my hands had I not given the message. Are you with me? We're all about Jesus, people, mission, not because it's a catchy phrase, but because we are responsible. There is blood on our hands, and we have to share that message with flesh and blood, human beings, humanity, to get that transferred. Now it's on you. Paul would say to the church at Corinth, woe to me if I preach not the gospel. It's, it's that Hebrew, that oive, woe, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Verses 28 through 31. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's speaking to the leadership. To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul tells these leaders, first of all, take heed to yourself. Watch yourself, guard yourself. But also watch out for that flock. Keep yourself in check, stay true to the word. Then watch over that flock that you pastor or shepherd. Stand with me right now. He's saying protect them, warn them, confront enemies of the flock. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when I see a little sheep getting courted by a wolf, and I'm a pastor, I'll give account to God for my actions. I want to warn that sheep. You got to be careful. Some people are not spiritually mature enough to handle, but I can drop to my knees and I can say, you foul spirit that have come against one of these little sheep in this fold that I've been made overseer. I come against you in the name of Jesus. Remember when Paul confronted Simon Bar-Jesus when he was trying to hinder the work of God in Sergius Paulus' life on the island of Cyprus. He struck him blind. I say, Father, in the name of Jesus, if this person is going to Get one of your little sheep off track. I curse them in Jesus' name. I pray you'd save them or, or get them out the way in Jesus' name. You don't think I do that. I do that. I pray for you that way. Pray that way. Because I've been made an overseer, a shepherd. And when I see something coming after one of my little sheep, I want to confront that enemy. But there would also be those, we'll see, from within. Paul said, There'll be those of you from within. You were on the right path, but for whatever reason, you're going to stray. And you're going to rise up, twist, and pervert the truth. And in doing so, you're going to draw others away with you. This is perhaps the hardest thing to deal with in the church and in ministry. When those who once believed 
and we're strong. Proponents of the way, the truth, and the life. When they begin to twist truth and pervert it, wow, that's brutal. That's tough. My 26 years of ministry, I've seen it. I've had good friends. I've seen it. It's sad. But Paul warns them. He's like, let me tell you what's going to happen. Here's the bottom line, and we'll stop right here, but here's the bottom line. Brothers and sisters, the truth that we have from this scripture, it is not to be toyed with, tinkered with, taken lightly. What we do here, this has cosmic consequences. Epic outcome. Heaven or hell. Yeah, for real. And what we do with this gospel and this truth, brothers and sisters, we got to hold on to it. We got to protect it. We got to share it. We got to love it. We got to embrace it. We got to humble ourselves. Paul said, for three years, I humbly preached this message to you. He knew all of the Old Testament. Anyhow, you with me? I pray that we could see the word this year with fresh eyes. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. That's what he would pray, Paul would, for the church at Ephesus. Father, I thank you for your word. You've been so good to us, God. I, I don't even know, God, how to, how to say thank you. you. You've been better to us than we deserve, Lord. Better than us than we've been to ourselves. Better to us, Lord, than... God, we've all made mistakes. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory. God, we've, made, we've, it's, we've lived some... Through some tragedies, many self-made, many self-inflicted wounds. But God, you are faithful and you are good. And God, your grace, it, it never ends. It just never ends. And, and God, I thank you for this gospel of grace that you have shined in our hearts, God. And I pray that we wouldn't take it lightly. I pray, God, that you would give us deeper revelation of truth this year than ever before. Let us approach the word prayerfully. Let us approach the word, God, with conviction. God, let us approach the word, God, with a reverence, God, that it deserves. It is the Jesus story.